But the bottom line of it really is we either trust him or we don't. He either is who he says he is and we stake our faith in it or not. We cannot just say he's good and holy and righteous and kind and powerful and sovereign and all those things in the good times. But then when seasons are bad, we discard that theology and that belief system. If he's good on the mountaintop and we trust his sovereignty from that perspective, then he's good in the valley and we have to trust his sovereignty in that perspective as well. You're listening to the Reframing Ministries podcast, providing strength for today and hope for tomorrow for caregivers and their families. Here's our host, Colleen Swindoll Thompson. Welcome to Reframing Ministries podcast. I am so excited to have you listen in or watch wherever you are because my guest today is an amazing game changer in life. She's a best-selling author, an actress, writer, speaker, and my dear, dear friend, Priscilla Shire. Thank you for being with me today. I love you, Colleen. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me, girl. Well, you have been through a season the last two years. When I looked some things up, you said the last few years have been the most difficult of my life. Mm -hmm. I know that grief is in process, but I'm not done yet. Speak into that for those of us who go through that a lot. Yeah. Well, I mean, the truth is who hasn't been through a lot of losses and griefs and uncertainty and upset over the past two years? Um, globally, we all have. It was compounded for us, as it was for many people, just with personal losses. So even before the pandemic, we'd lost three members of our family back to back within three or four months of each other. And then um, over the past two years that we've lost eight people now, just back to back, unexpected. Most of them were unexpected here one day and then gone the next day kind of losses. So it's been staggering. Um, and like you said, grief is just a process. And I think one of the main, for me and for our family, one of the main gifts of the grieving process has been to allow each other the margin to grieve the way we need to. Meaning if that means having a much less busy schedule, having time to just process for my spouse, Jerry, um, eight months after my mom died, he, his mom died here in our home. I and, did not know that. Yeah, and Colleen, she was not ill. She was fine, be bopping around the day before. And then she went to take a nap the next day and did not wake up. And um, so and you her, had no idea? No, no, she, she was fine. She was fine. She had said the night before that she was feeling like a little cold, like, you know, like any of us would say, like, no big deal. Um, and so the next day she went to lay down and her, she just, that was it. Um, and so for my husband, you know, with, with my mom, we walked through a cancer journey with her. So we had time to process, to talk, to tell each other things, to really spend time together. For my husband, it's that my mom is here one day and man, if I would have known, what would I have said to her? What would I have, how would I have spent time with her? What would I have invested in those moments? If I would have known the next day was gonna be my last time with her. So processing that with Jerry um, and him allowing me the margin I've needed, me allowing him the margin that he's needed when, when either of us is feeling lethargic or unmotivated or unproductive or whatever, just saying to that, that spouse, that partner of ours or sibling or parent, hey, take the time you need to do what you need to do. We got you. 
that is the gift that I think we give to those around us when we are in these moments because grief is gonna hit each of us in different ways and letting each other have the space we need to grieve in the way we need to. I mean, Priscilla, eight lives, but compounded by the fact that everybody's grieving and everybody grieves differently. Yeah. How, how are you raised to think about grief versus experiencing grief? Yeah, well, um, actually those two things dovetail beautifully because I've always, as you, have been raised in a household where grief is real, but we do not grieve as those who do not have hope. And that right there has been a cornerstone that has kept me over the past couple of years. That yes, grief is real, so cry the tears and take the naps and take the walks and have the conversations and do what you need to do, but at the same time, not grieving like we are hopeless, I'm telling you, it changes the story. I don't know how people who do not have an anchor of hope in what Christ offers, not just eternally, that, that yes, our loved ones are with him, that they're happy, that they're content, they're healthy, they're free of all of the stuff that was ailing them on earth. So knowing that and believing that, that's one element of it. But also knowing that the comforter is here with us, that the Holy Spirit is not just like some random theoretical floating around being, but no, he is empowering me so that I can get up and get dressed and put clothes on. I mean, how do you keep functioning day to day and not lapse into a complete puddle of despair and discouragement and depression if you think this is it? That <laughs> if this is all there is, then I can see why you we can't function. We wouldn't be able to function from day to day. So I'm great. We'd be at each other's throats. Absolutely. Absolutely. We'd be on edge. We'd be hopeless. We would have no get up and go, no momentum. I wouldn't if it weren't for the strengthening power, the sustaining power. I'm serious. I don't say that in theory. I'm saying it has to be the Holy Spirit sustaining me and my dad, my siblings, keeping us in our right mind giving us, and I, I think of you when I say this, Colleen, everything that your family has traversed over the last months and years for you to continue to function in ministry as a wife, as a mother on this podcast, for you to keep going, that right there is one of the greatest miracles of our lifetime, watching the Holy Spirit empower us to keep going when honestly in our flesh, we do not want to. That is such yeah. great evidence of his presence and power, and I'm grateful mm -hmm. for it. But there have been times where, like the last two months, I took off because I had nothing to give. Yep. And if I show up with nothing, that's not going to be helpful. So yeah. what did you do when there were those days where you're like, I've got to dig so deep into the ocean for this anchor. God, I need you. Holy Spirit, I need you because there are times where he seems silent. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, first of all, I appreciate you saying you took a couple months off because I think very many people need to, it's almost like they need someone to give them the okay that needing to slack off on the regular rhythm of your life. And honestly, 
if there was one benefit, I hate to say that, but benefit that came out of the shutdown, the quarantine um, that we all experienced there in the spring of 2020, and that lasted much longer than all of us expected. If there was one benefit of that, an outgrowth would have been just the recalibration, the permission to recalibrate your schedule, to look at all of the stuff that was filling up our time, our children's time, um, you know, in ministry, our time, and go, you know what, what of these things do we need to do differently? Do we need to reconfigure so that we are putting our time in the things that actually matter and that are priorities to us? Mm. So that became that quarantine kind of season we went through really became a great launching pad opportunity for us because this was that started two and a half months after mom had passed away. So at that point, yes. Yeah, I yeah. remember because I watched I watched the funeral I was going to attend, but my neck was in such a huge collar. And I, your sweet daddy was there. I know he sat right by your daddy. <laughs> I just I just cried when I watched both of them together I because know. they love each other so much. I know. And they both grieved so deeply, Priscilla, and I wanted to be there and yet I wasn't able to be. So for people who have been quarantined, so much about mental health has come out in a negative way. Yeah. You're speaking of it so positively. So so reframe that for people who are in that space going, yeah. uh, we're at each other's throats. I mean, yeah. I, I don't want to be here anymore. Well, listen, first of all, the mental health issues that have been accentuated because of all of the drama of the past two years, they, it's real. It's real. It's not in your head. It's not just something you're creating. The isolation, the despair, um, the the uncertainty of our times, it can really wreak havoc on you. So, and and then the lack of community that we had to have in the process of all that, that's, that's really um, troublesome. So I really appreciate um, and encourage people um, to connect themselves with folks who the Lord has gifted with unique wisdom and discernment and insight and medical prowess that sometimes is necessary to help walk us through a season of life. Jesus and therapy, there ain't nothing wrong with that. And so I just encourage you to get with somebody who you can be honest and vulnerable with and say, here's how I'm really feeling and here's how I'm struggling. Help me to walk through this. I've had that in my life. I have a very close friend who happens to be a licensed counselor, but we'll spend time together. And I'm able to just say to her, you know, the lack of motivation I feel right now, Shauna, or the lack of um, productivity that I feel, or uh, I just don't quite feel like myself. And I yes. still don't, I don't feel like myself, the rhythm of my life, the cadence of my life is off just a little bit. And I can't quite find my footing. So talking with someone through that, but then also saying, okay, Lord, you have allowed me into this season of uncertainty for a reason, this season of what I feel like is a lack of productivity. But if you've got me here, instead of rushing through it and trying to get to the next thing, I'm just going to do like what you said, Colleen, I need to take some time and just sit right here in what seems like a fruitless season. But if I'll sit in it with you, God, and pray through it and ask you by your spirit to open my eyes to what you have for me in it then I know that actually you're building my character. You're gonna give me ideas. You're gonna reframe my perspective in a way that will be the foundation for whatever you wanna build in the next season of my life. So I think, like I said earlier, you know, I'm kind of rambling, but giving my husband, my, my, my siblings, my dad, and them giving to me this gift of margin to pray through that, to sit in that a little bit and just ask the Lord, what's this about? 
And um, I'm going to be patient and wait with you, Lord, until you release me from from this season, you know, where I start to feel those wires clicking again. But until then, I'm not going to press it. I'm not going to go write a book just because I need a book. No, I'm just going to not write and I'm going to not travel as much. And I'm going to sit right here in this season where you have me and just allow you to do whatever you plan to do in me here. So what does that practically look like? Because that's exactly, exactly where I have been personally, but I know where so many are. And God is, as your mother so wisely said, if God showed us the entire journey, we'd never take the first step. It's true. <laughs> she, she, oh, Lois, I love you. <laughs> and, and yet he doesn't show us the whole thing. So when we're yeah. sitting in that quiet space where we're like, God, I got to have something, a lot of times he is removing from our identity mm-hmm. those things that we've clung to that aren't of him necessarily. But yeah. how have you changed through this process? Yep. I have been weighing my yeses and my nos very carefully. I have been looking at whether it's an invitation to minister somewhere. So I'm talking about good things, whether it's an invitation to be in ministry, whether it's the opportunity to write again or to participate in a film or to just meet someone for coffee or lunch or whatever, all the good things of life. I've been looking at those and going, I want to make sure that my yeses are not attached to guilt that maybe I've said no to this person four times before, so I feel guilty that I'm not saying yes. They're not attached to fear, fear that if I don't say yes now that I might miss that opportunity and an opportunity like it won't come around again. Those That, that basis of decision-making, none of that comes from God. But so many of my yeses, so many of our yeses are oftentimes rooted in that fear or guilt or an over-accentuated sense of ambition. So weighing those has caused me to say no to a whole lot more things and to rest in those no's and to know that what that no is doing, when I say no to something, what that is doing is open, opening me up for margin for my best yes, to have the energy, to have the time, to have the priorities in place so that I can invest my time in the ways that God would have me to in this season. And so practically, Colleen, it has been hard because it has meant saying no to a whole lot of great stuff, but I know that saying yes to that would infringe upon the margin that I sense that the Lord wants me to have in this particular season of my life. So God is really directing you to hone and to um, slim down your identity in him. It's not in him and what you write, in him and the movies you do, in him and where you go to speak. It's God, ministry's yours. That's right. And you can use me, but right now we're in a time of equipping. How have you and your siblings um, been there for your dad who's in ministry? He had, like my dad says, you've got to come up with a sermon and, and Sunday comes every other day. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's just all the time. Our dads are superheroes. I do not know how they do it. <laughs> I, I do not know. And it's so funny. Some comments... It's easy to for people to think that well you, if you have public ministry you can you're somehow absent of trials. Yeah. <laughs> look at your look on your face. I know. Um, and that's dad, the biggest lie. And I've got to tell you both of our fathers, but your dad and your mother have just been such a beautiful example of faithfulness through trials like mm. when you see somebody in their season of life 
and you realize when you're an adult, you can look at someone like that and go, oh my goodness, I know the daily decisions you had to make, the consistency you had to have, the integrity you had to constantly choose to be faithful to your spouse and faithful to the Lord in ministry. I even called your dad. Did I tell you that I called him one day out of the blue? This was after mom's funeral. I called him and I just told him, thank you. I just said, I want you to know that as a spiritual daughter of yours, I feel like I am, you know, having known him all my life, but then also being in seminary when he was the president of the school, Dallas Seminary. I just called him and I said, I want you to know that I thank you, um, not just for your faithfulness in ministry all these years, but more than that, now watching my mom, um, my dad and my mom's experience with her passing away, um, I just said, I want to thank you for loving your wife so faithfully um, and taking care of her. Um, your, the testimony, not in big Chuck Swindoll ministry world, but just watching you love your family. I just want you to know that that matters, um, uh, Dr. Swindoll. So thank you. So I called him to tell him that because I've been so blessed by he and others like him who are just loving the people in their sphere of influence well. Which is so interesting because I've started listening to your dad's podcast in the mornings. I'm like, I got to call Tony and tell him, thank you for doing this. Thank you for saying that. Thank you for being faithful. Thank you for showing up because we need people in our lives that do show up yeah. and that don't do the shortcut thing. I've got to show up for ministry because it feeds my ego, but because it honors God. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. How Priscilla <clears throat> have you... Um, how have you resolved with all the prayer that went in for your mom's passing mm -hmm. and when she didn't come back? I know one of your siblings really struggled with that mm -hmm. and was resentful. When, we, when, when God answers in a way that we don't anticipate or we even don't even like, mm -hmm. and it's hard, how do you walk through that season well? Well, um, you know... I'm trying not to boil that down into a succinct answer because I can it's say it's going to be different and I will, but man, it's such a journey. It's such a struggle. Um, when you're like Job, having lost all of these things, Job was allowed to ask questions, to, to make his concerns known, his disappointments, his frustrations. And we did all that. We cried all the tears. We kind of looked upward to, to the heavens like, what? Are you serious? Do you yeah. realize how amazing your glory would be displayed if you healed our mom? With Can all we tell you, God, how yeah. you would? <laughs> There's hundreds. There were literally hundreds of thousands of people praying for our mother. We got video from churches in Kenya and Europe and Brooklyn and I mean just all these big bodies of believers that were just standing firm on behalf of our mother so in our minds we're like we cannot even imagine how much glory you're gonna get Lord when you go mom <laughs> I so love you oh my goodness I can just hear the 12 disciples saying that to Jesus like Jesus you know you can you can let them know who you are if you want to come out here and just do a little exactly. abracadabra that this would be a good time Lord you know but just FYI yes just FYI <laughs> um so reconciling when it became clear to us particularly in the last month so December 2019 it was becoming clear to us that um, the Lord might be choosing to heal her in heaven. And so we had all the tears and all the conversations and asked dad hard questions. He asked others of his friends of his, Ramesh Richards and Martin Hawkins, you know, close friends that he's had for 40, 50 years who he went to seminary with. 
Lots of hard conversations as dad even grappled with that disconnect of, Lord, we know you can do it, so why wouldn't you do it? So first of all, I feel like that example from our, our father gave us permission to know that we can ask the questions, that God is not mad at us because we're human, that, that he's not mad at us because we're frail. And we say, Lord, I'm disappointed by this, that he allows us to express that emotion and that concern, and he doesn't turn his back on us when we do. And I just write that right there, the grace that I feel from God, knowing that he lets me be human and struggle through that and that he'll meet me at the point of that need. I've been so grateful for that because we have asked a lot of questions, but the bottom line- And been mad. I mean, sometimes mad. you're just out, you're just outrageously angry. Yeah, God, you're just you like, are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> um, and another one, and another one, yeah, and another one. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but the bottom line of it really is we either trust him or we don't. He either is who he says he is, and we stake our faith in it or not. We cannot just say he's good and holy and righteous and kind and powerful and sovereign and all those things in the good times. But then when seasons are bad, we discard that theology and that belief system. If he's good on the mountaintop and we trust his sovereignty from that perspective, then he's good in the valley and we have to trust his sovereignty in that perspective as well. So Did you wrestle with that? Yeah, I wrestled with it. But I will say that probably you asked about my siblings. There are probably a couple of us who struggled with it more simply by virtue of our personalities. I, sure. am, I am more wired towards optimism and faith and just me and dad are sort of wired that way. I have a couple siblings who are wired towards the questioning and wired towards the logical rationalizing of it. So really a lot of it is just based on our natural bent, how we'll initially respond to it. So That's I can very, admit, very important. Yeah, yeah. so I can admit it. that it might be a little bit easier for some people to fall in that direction than, than others. And that's okay. The Lord knew you when he formed you in your mother's womb. He knew the questions we'd have and the struggles we'd have. But knowing that and being sensitive to that. So you being like, you trust God or you don't. And then having a sibling who's questioning, mm -hmm. how does, what does that interaction look like? You know what? Actually, it's faith building on both sides, because for me to hear those questions and to us to talk back and forth about them and to realize that inside of some of those questions, actually, there are some questions of my own that their questioning points out to me that then I go and do business with God regarding. So all of it is an iron sharpening iron experience for all of us. And so to not make them try to think like me or me think like them or emote like them or them emote like me, but just letting everybody do what they do, ask, giving a safe space for everybody to have the concerns that they have and us to talk through that, it actually builds all of our faith to be able to do that. Um, and so I've been so grateful for the margin we've given each other to just be free to, to say and do what we need to say and do. Thanks again for listening to the Reframing Ministries podcast. If Reframing Ministries has been helpful in your life walk, we'd be honored to have you partner with us in prayer and in financial support. We operate entirely and only on your generous gifts and donations. Would you consider giving just $10 a month to help caregivers and their families receive resources full of help, hope, and healing? You can partner with us at reframingministries.com give. 
So many times when we are struggling, it's that validation that we need more than anything else. Just validate that I hurt. Yeah. Validate I don't. Right. And don't tell me how to respond because I'm not going to respond like you would respond. I'm a mull through something that you would say God is God or he is not. I'm like, but I can't put this together as easily as you can. Yeah. And just spending time with that. Yes. And one of the things I read was that your dad suggested you go into communications because (laughs) you'd get in trouble for talking all the time. Well, I always got in trouble for talking by my teachers. They're like, hush her up. (laughs) That was impossible. (laughs) And so his wisdom along the way, but then he invested in Mm y'all. It's true. And that's come back in ways to feed him. I hope so. I hope so. How have you seen your children change as a result of all of this? Well, you know, when when I was growing up in their age range, I have, um, as we were talking about earlier, I've got Jackson's 19, then a 17-year-old and a 13-year-old. When I was in that season of life, we had had no losses at all. We lost no one close to us. I hadn't been to any funerals. I didn't lose my first grandparent until I was 34 years old. So the first sort of death that we had that was kind of, you know, meaningful in the sense that it was up close and personal was when I was 34. So for my children, they have basically gone to about seven or eight funerals in the past three or four years. So for these boys to have that perspective on death, on the finality of life, for them to realize this ain't it, for us to have the conversations we've had to have as they see their loved one laying in a box and them to ask some of the questions that begin to stir up great conversation about the fact that that's actually just a shell, like it's it's just a tent, they're not even in there anymore, they're already in the presence of God. Um, for us to talk through, through some of the practical elements about what, um, you know, in the, in many of the cases, but in dad's dad, so we called him two daddy, my grandfather, mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. son's great grandfather, who they were very close to, they had great relationship with him. But when he passed away, this very frugal man who lived in the same house for 60 years, he had a little financial gift that he left for his great grandsons. And for us to give these to these boys and say, this is legacy. Legacy is not only when you are uh, praying with your children or your grandchildren in person, it's when you are already thinking forward to when you are no longer present and you're storing up spiritual traditions, finances, you're doing things with your great, great grandchildren in mind. So to be able to even have that illustration for our children, which we didn't see because we didn't have any losses growing up, I actually appreciate the depth, the texture, the um, the context for living that it has given my sons at an early age. So has it been difficult and hard? Do I wish they hadn't gone through it? Yes. But on the flip side of it, the kinds of conversations we've had have gone well below surface level to some of the deep stuff we may maybe had never gotten to had they not been face to face with so much loss. So I'm, I'm, and why I'm, would you ever talk about that? You would never talk about that if that, if passing hadn't happened. That's now right. you had a health crisis in the middle of all of this stuff. So let's talk about that little venture in the middle of I this mean, season. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I have to laugh and just go, okay, God, yeah. really? I'm just going to lay down. You know, and I literally <laughs> laughed while I was in the hospital. I literally laughed because I thought this was hysterical. So 
it wasn't hysterical, but they found this little mass in my lung. We've been watching it for three years. It, well, I was it, telling you, you had to give up cigars a long time ago, I, Priscilla. <laughs> I should have listened. <laughs> oh, I've got this little thing in my lung. They're like, don't worry about it because it's not growing or anything. But then right in the last four months of my mother's life, I went to go get a scan like normal once a year to just check on it. And it had grown some. So then they had me do PET scans. They had me do the whole shebang. Everything's negative, but they still said we need to take it out. Um, and so let's schedule that for the beginning of December. Well, my grandfather died at the beginning of December. So I pushed it back to January. Then my mother died um, right at the end of, of December going into January. So I tried to push it off again. And they said, no, we cannot push it off again. We have to take it out. So one week after mom's funeral, I went to the hospital to remove the entire upper lobe of my left lung. That's the only way they could get this mass out because it wasn't on the side of my lobe. It was embedded in the middle of it. So they had to take- Like the whole seriously? Seriously. Seriously. And they took it out and I was in the hospital for five days. And on the fifth day, the pathology report came back that it was cancer. So lung cancer. So that's when I laughed, Colleen. I literally, dad was there, my <laughs> siblings were there, Jerry was there. And this man, this doctor came in and said, yeah, pathology came back. It's it's a cancerous tumor. So mm. you are now a lung cancer survivor. I just laughed out loud. And I looked at my dad and I said, I could have been smoking all these years. Why did I not smoke? <laughs> I could have earned this the real way. I mean, seriously. <laughs> it's, it's kind of those things where it's like, what? You know, as women, we think about ovarian cancer or uterine cancer or breast cancer. It's kind of more in our frame of reference. But for someone who's it's never been a smoker, or, yeah, it's just like, what? So it was one of those, again, over the past three years of a lot of random chaotic things. It was another one. And I just laughed. I just laughed like this is actually hysterical at this point. Um, gratefully, the surgery was curative. So I almost feel like it didn't happen. I had that surgery and then that was it. I didn't have to thank the Lord. I didn't have to do any, any radiation or chemotherapy or nothing to follow up. It's just done. So I'm grateful for that. Um, but it is one of those things that it's just kind of like, you know what, Lord, you are in charge. You are so yeah, either I can laugh about this yeah. and I can just trust you or I can cry, but I'd rather just go. <laughs> You know and we cried too. We cried too, but lots I'm of just sure. sort of going, you know what? <laughs> At this Here point, we are. We just trust you. And Jerry's like, oh Lord, <laughs> don't leave me with these three boys <laughs> and no wife. Because <laughs> I gotta have her around. I know. Well, well, you guys have just released a book, you and your siblings, with your dad, because your mom had asked for you to do that on its divine disruption. Yeah. And it's created a legacy which is now called kingdom legacy. Tell me about that, Priscilla. Well, um, yeah, our mom wanted us as much as possible just to do ministry together. So Anthony, our she was such a driver, such a driver. Oh. Our mamas are alike. Your mama. Yeah. Yeah. Your She's mom like, oh, and my mom. Yes. I love this mm -hmm. so much. And by the way, speaking of mamas, you are looking just like your mother on this here podcast today. <laughs> well, I hope that's good. <laughs> it is wonderful. But I remember um, talking about how driven they were. You and I both yeah. had driven moms. And she said, don't yeah. waste this time. 
Yeah. And, but isn't that great? Because that's what both of our dads needed. They needed someone who could run alongside of them in this gargantuan ministry that the Lord has entrusted to both of them for decades now. Yes. Um, yes. And so your, your mother and my mother, just such great gifts to all of us. But um, I, I lost the kingdom my legacy. That's yes. right. The kingdom legacy. So yeah, mom wanted us to do stuff together. Anthony had that idea of let's, let's try to give other people hope in the midst of their crisis by telling them our story and walking them through the past few years from each of our perspectives, the struggles we had, the questions we had, the angst we had, just the the, the dirt and nuts and bolts of it. Because it can, you know, people can see us on a podcast like this or teaching or standing on a stage on a Sunday doing something and it looks all polished. I mean, it looks like, oh, they came through that so wonderfully. Yeah, it's all great and done. Oh, it's all great. But reading through that tells you about the moments we balked or the times we, you know, in the first 35, 40 years of my life, I think I saw, saw my dad cry twice. In the past three years, the amount of times I have watched my father completely cave in a pool of tears and what that sort of does to an adult daughter seeing the fragility of their dad in that way. Um, talking through all of that in this book gives us an opportunity to just be open and honest and here's the real deal. And yet still we have this anchor and we wanna encourage you, whoever reads it, that you can go through all these stages of chaos and grief and trauma and all of that, but you can still have an anchor that brings you safely out on the other side. And we're a testament to that. It's not our strength or our power or we're some sort of amazing family. Nope, we actually have wrestled real hard and we're still wrestling. And yet somehow God's grace has proven to be sufficient. So I'm really grateful for that. As you work together with your brothers and sisters and with your dad, I, I can't imagine, uh, it's the tide changes from your dad being the strong one to now you kids at various areas of time are strong or not strong. Mm-hmm. Did that bring y'all together, the vulnerability of those moments? Yeah, they re- it really did. And it was really refreshing to have all of those conversations and talk through things and ask each other questions about things we didn't know that they had experienced one day, maybe when they were in the room alone with mom taking care of her and we weren't, one of us wasn't there. So we hear about that and we go, oh, wait a minute, mom said that? Mom did that? Um, So just being able to talk through that and then hear my father's perspective on all of it, losing a wife, you know, of 49 and a half years and and they just celebrated the 40-year anniversary. That's right. Yeah. Of that's ministry. Mm-hmm. That's yes. right. Um, My God, you could have shown up there. Just let her live until we had the celebration. I have to tell you, though, Colleen, a little bit of grace in that is that in November of 2019, there was this big um, celebration that had been planned at the church because dad was the first, is the first African-American to um, theologian to write a study Bible and to write a Bible, full Bible commentary. So that, that was fabulous. Yes. And we had this huge celebration thing planned as well as that Sunday at church. So that celebration was a Friday. And then that Sunday at church, we had planned to do some things to celebrate both of their 70th birthdays because dad's 70th was September and mom's December. So right there in the middle, November. And we were asking the Lord to allow not just my mother, but to allow my father to have these moments with our mom. And the last weekend that she was strong enough to come to church 
was the weekend of this Friday night celebration and this Sunday celebration of her birthday. And I'm telling you, the grace of God that we saw in that, again, not just for our mom, but for all of us and our dad to be able to have that experience with our mother, we feel an extreme amount of gratitude to the Lord for that. And I'm just totally rambling now, but I got to tell you, even with all these losses, we've even seen God's grace in the fact that particularly our grandfather and mother went home to be with the Lord right before 2020. What, what we as a family, the, the devastation that we as a family would have experienced if mom had been going through the kind of illness she was going through. Oh my gosh. When those hospitals were shutting down and you couldn't get into the hospital and you couldn't be with your loved one in the hospital or my grandfather um, when, when his body started to give out and he's in Baltimore and we wouldn't have been able to fly our dad to Baltimore real quick to say goodbye to his father before he passed away. I mean, all of that, which we know so many people went through once the shutdown started. So in, in our story, in hindsight, we even look back and are like, Lord, thank you. Thank you that while we feel like they were taken too soon, you and your infinite knowledge, you, you spared us having to go through the quarantine experience with the kind of sickness that our mother and our grandfather in his last couple of days was facing. And so we feel grateful for that. Yeah, I think what you hit on is essential to getting through those times, which is where has God been faithful in the in the tiny places and the small things or the big things? Because I have to write those down. I also have to write down what have I learned through this process? How has my character changed? Yeah. And as we wrap this up, I want to ask you, Priscilla, for those who are in that Jesus is my anchor, but I'm losing my grip. What words can you say to give them hope to move forward? Because you are, I mean, I've known you for a long time and the depth in your character has just gone so deep. Mm-hmm. And yet it was hard work. It was one shovel at a time. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. speak into that for those who are just clinging by a pinky. Yeah, I, oh man, I totally get it. The first thing that I would really encourage is is community. It, it is nearly impossible to be isolated and be hanging on by a thread and to come out of that successfully. You have got to have some sisters or brothers and brothers in Christ around you that you know love you, care for you. You can be vulnerable with them. It's a safe place, but they're going to catch you before you fall all the way down. You, you, that's what the body of Christ is for. Yeah, that's essential. Oh my gosh, you literally have to have that. More than anything, the enemy wants to isolate us one from the other, not just sure. individually, but that's that's the reason why the division in the body of Christ is such a substantial issue one generation after the other because he knows if he can get us separate and isolated he's weakened our capacity to push back the kingdom of darkness and his attempts to cause us to just cave in discouragement and despair so make that a matter of prayer if you don't have community around you ask the lord to open up your eyes to some people who you can call on and that um people that you need to re-invite back into your circle Um, yes And then I would say another thing actually that I want to emphasize that you just mentioned, Colleen. Hold on, I'm going to show you. Yeah. This is one of many journals that I've kept through the years. And I cannot even begin to tell you how necessary this track record has been of the faithfulness of God. 
I just started journaling again, and I told my assistant the other day, it's it's life changing. It's, a journal, it's and and it might not feel life changing in the moment, but it's not the moment that it's life changing for. It's the track record. It's the stuff that happened in two thousand and nine that I wouldn't remember unless I'd written it down. So today, when I'm going through crisis, I can look back and just go, the Lord brought me through that one. Oh, the Lord answered that prayer. Oh, I thought I would never make it through that. And somehow God did it. And being able to just sort of have a little smile that curls itself up on your lips because you recognize that the fingerprints of God actually have been all over your story. And if he's been faithful back then, he's going to continue to be faithful to you now. And so I would encourage everybody, man, whether it's typing it into the notes section of your cell phone or a Microsoft Word document or going old school like me, you know, I don't write in it every day, but every now and then throughout a month or a year, I just open it up when God is doing something or something's happened or a crisis has evolved or I'm praying about something or sometimes I'll just start a day if I feel like it and write 10 things I'm grateful for, little things like a hot cup of coffee blesses my whole life. Do you hear me, girl? <laughs> Absolutely, it does. Uh, yeah. And a soft, fuzzy robe. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I will write down little things like that or a full tank of gas. It's like, yes, you know Lord, you keep on doing these regular, ordinary, faithful, miraculous things every day. And I don't want to devalue them and discount them. They are proof that you are in the business of sustaining me through whatever comes. So I would just echo what you said about writing stuff down. It is transformative to have a track record and a history with God. You have to have that. I mean, that's what Moses talked about in Deuteronomy. Tell these things, repeat these things to your children and your grandchildren, pass them mm-hmm. along. I mean, and we can't remember them unless they are written down. Absolutely. And there is something physiologically about the hand writing words down, just a great verse in the Psalm, one yep. verse and look at it and go, how's God speaking to me in this verse? Say it out yes. loud and then write it down because one day we'll look back and go, oh, I forgot about that verse. That's right. But that sustained me through that time. Yeah. Priscilla, you are just delightful. I could laugh with you all afternoon. I and love I'm you so, so much. <laughs> I'm just so thankful for all God is doing in and through you. I'm so sorry for how hard it has been, but I'm so thankful y'all are pressing on one day at a time. And thank you for speaking to those who are listening. Yes. And I appreciate you having me because I, listen, I could say the exact same thing about you and you know that you have been through some stuff and yet you keep showing up. You keep being obedient. You keep being intentional with the purpose that God has given you. And Colleen, you have been more of an example to me and a motivation to keep going than you will ever, than you will ever know. I'm grateful for you. Thank you, my friend. Well, anywhere you want to find Priscilla, just look her name up, Priscilla Shire, and she'll pop up on everything. Thank you, Priscilla. Please hug your daddy for me and your siblings. I sure will. I love you. I love you, sweetie. Bye. Thanks again for listening to the Reframing Ministries podcast. If you haven't connected with us on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube, we'd love to see you there. If you're looking to find a community of caregivers for advice, counsel, and soul care. Join our free caregiver support group on Facebook. If you'd like to watch Colleen's interviews instead of listening only, you can find us on YouTube. The Reframing Ministries podcast is a production of Insight for Living Ministries.